Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. We live in a society where over 50% of all marriages end in divorce. So I'm going to preach on Hebrews. Um, No, I'm just kidding. That was supposed to be... We've got to talk about this text, don't we? Therefore, though, at surface reading, the gospel today uh, can, can read as a, as, a, as a real doozy. Our gospel reading begins with the Pharisees, and they approach Jesus to test him. And they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, who asks this kind of question? You know what I mean? This isn't a straight or honest question at all. In fact, the word test here, parasotes, is the same root word as Mark uses when Jesus is in the wilderness being tested by Satan. This is a test to cause him to fail. And it's understood in two contexts. The first context is political, and the second is theological. Political because the reading takes place in northern Judea, ruled by Herod Antipias, who had already earlier in Mark's gospel beheaded John the Baptist for John the Baptist's critique of Herod marrying Herodias, his brother's wife. So the Pharisees are thinking if Jesus answers the wrong way politically, maybe Herod will take care of him just like he took care of that pesky John the Baptist. However, more importantly, this is also a theological question that's going on here. And Jesus answers their theological question with what? A theological question. What did Moses command you? Or in other words, what did Moses write? Now Moses traditionally wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And within the Torah, there are several passages that deal with marriage. However, the Pharisees, of all the passages they could choose, they choose the loophole. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. And they paraphrase it. They don't even quote the whole thing. They're like, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Now, In the days of the Pharisees, there were two interpretations of Deuteronomy 24 amongst the Pharisees. There was the first school, the school of Shammai. And they interpreted Deuteronomy 24 to mean that a man may divorce his wife only in the case of adultery. Then there was the second school, the school of Hillel, which interpreted the same passage to mean a man may divorce his wife for nearly any fault that he finds in her. So, for example, she allowed her hair to clog the shower drain. You know, this was it. The marriage was over. Never mind that the husband always left the seat up. Uh, this This was the straw that broke the camel's back. And when it came to the Pharisees at this day and age, uh, about 99.9% of them all agreed with Hillel on this particular passage. I think only Shammai agreed with Shammai on the text. And so what happened was, you had essentially the definition of gender inequality going on. And women were discarded at the drop of a hat. And in that world and in that time, 
the consequences of divorce for a woman were brutal. There was no like, I'm going to, I'm every woman and I'm going to remake my image. Uh, you know, basically, your only option was prostitution right after that. And so in this context, though, in Deuteronomy 24, what Moses is doing is, he says, if the wife and the husband get in a divorce, the context here is if they get in a divorce and she remarries and something happens in the second marriage, then she can't go back to the first husband. You know, there's no Mariah Carey, when you took your love away from me, yada, 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 because we belong together. There's none of that happening. Also, the certificate of divorce in the Deuteronomic context functioned as an annulment. So she could go back to her family. She could live in peace and in protection. So in this way, it was designed to protect a woman. However, Jesus points out to the Pharisees. He says this was an accommodation. And it was an accommodation, why? Because of the hardness of your hearts their faithless hearts, this is why it was brought in, unwilling to receive the gift of God, a helpmate, a woman, built into the order of creation. So what Jesus does is, is he trumps Deuteronomy with Genesis. He quotes Genesis chapter 2. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's what Moses said about husbands and wives in the beginning. That's what Moses said before Adam and Eve became self-oriented and by sin, you know, you look at the creation, divorce actually didn't exist. And this is my first point. Divorce, divorce is the fruit of the fall. And divorce is not part of the natural order of things. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? As a pastor for 20 years, 20 plus years now, and I've been in the trenches, I can tell you, divorce may be tragically needful. And divorce may be horribly inevitable. Yet it is never lawful. The answer is no. Divorce is never lawful, no matter what circumstance. Now you see, we have so politicized marriage in our day and age. I'm a little worried after this sermon, my head, like John the Baptist, may wind up on a platter. I'm reaching for my holster at coffee hour. So, but, uh, <clears throat> but here's the thing. And here's what's really going on. So don't only hear the no in the law. People who want to justify themselves before anyone, especially God, will always look for a loophole. This is why modern Christianity is losing credibility across the Western world. Because the religion we have created, both left and right, is filled with loopholes, and the world sees right through it. Please listen to me closely. No one, no one is justified before God by marriage. And no one will be discredited by God on the basis of a divorce. 
What is actually going on here is what therapists call the question behind the question. The Pharisees' challenge is not about divorce, but about self-justification before God. And so this, therefore, it speaks to every one of us. And Jesus then closes up all of the loopholes and all of our self-justification projects with the disciples when he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So you see in this statement right here, and this is a profound statement what Jesus is doing here. He closes the loopholes He closes the loopholes of a certificate of divorce which was used to let men off the hook. And he takes them back to Genesis and places men and women on equal footing like they were in Genesis before the fall to drive home the point that in actuality no one will be justified before God by the law or a loophole within it God's law, God's law, when it is understood properly, silences all of your questions. Is it lawful for me to do this or that? Will I be justified before God if I do this or that? Because God's law, as St. Paul says, is sin's power. And therefore, it only leads to death. I want to say as a pastor... I have, and I do marry, people who have been divorced. And only twice in my entire ministry have I ever said no. And that was because the couple was just so smug about their previous marriage. However, everyone else, despite the time, when you really get at the heart of the matter, they reflect some form of heartbreak about their past marriage. If you've ever been in the trench with someone, you begin to realize there are bodies in the room. People have died. The groom and the bride, they've died. And those of you who've been through a divorce, you know that to be the case. You die in a divorce. However, we worship a God. We worship a God and know a God who always by virtue of his gospel, raises the dead. And he makes all things new. And the new marriage is typically the fruit of a real resurrection. You see, one must understand how heavy the law of God actually is in order to understand how amazing grace, actually what it's truly all about. That you are justified by virtue of Jesus and his work for you. This is my second point. Marriage. Marriage is good. I recommend it for some of you. But it can't ever save us. Marriage is not a means of grace as some people teach. But as those of you who've been in married or are in a marriage know, it needs grace. I always tell people, Love is the foundation of every marriage, but what holds that thing together is grace and forgiveness. So Jesus, he quotes Genesis. 
chapter 2, verses 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And you see, ultimately, this finds its fulfillment not in you, but it finds its fulfillment in God's redeeming grace, in Jesus Christ, the one true Adam. For it's Christ who actually leaves his father, forsaken by his father on the cross, and leaves his mother to the Apostle John on the cross in order that he might cling to his bride, the church, whom he creates from his side by water and blood, uniting himself, clinging to us through his appointed means now, his word, water, and bread and wine. And my brothers and sisters, fellow brides, and that's a word for all you men as well, you are a bride of Christ. In Christ's new, in Christ's new covenant with you, there are no loopholes and there are no escape hatches because those loopholes have been filled with love, those loopholes have been filled with hope, those loopholes have been filled with mercy and grace and the certainty of being unified with Jesus in the age that is to come. Hence, you begin to understand now the flow of our gospel reading and why it ends with children. Kind of doesn't make sense when you're looking at it just from the surface level. But you see, there's a flow to our gospel, and it ends with Jesus taking little children into his arms and blessing them. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And you see the disciples, they don't get it. They're shooing them away. We can't build an army with kids. But what's going on here is an illustration. You see, children, they're not being brought to Jesus because they're innocent. They're being brought to Jesus because they're needy. Children don't have a resume to try and justify themselves. Children are utterly givable too. And trusting their parents, and you're going to see this in a moment, they have to be carried. They don't bring themselves, they're needy. And before God, never forget, so are all of us. It's why we bring babies to baptism, that Jesus may touch them and bless them. And this is my third point. Babies, not Pharisees. Babies, not even disciples. They become living illustrations of the answer to the question, what must I do to justify myself? Is it lawful, dot, 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 dot. Children in their need are a picture of the kingdom of God. An illustration of receiving grace from God is all gift, not earned. So let me wrap up with this. As brides with no loopholes and babies in need, let us all be refreshed by the good news of the gospel that God is always for us and we are justified by his grace alone. And in this act of baptism as we watch and we recommit ourselves to Christ as well, let us be reminded that indeed, no matter what happens to you, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and you have been marked as Christ's own forever. And nothing can ever separate you from his love. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.